0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey everyone, before we jump into the show, I just want to talk to you real quick about our new title sponsor, Tix Blitz. They're the official ticket provider for the entire armchair media network. Unlike any other ticket providers that try to sneak in extra fees, unexplained service charges, and all that crap, at Tick Blitz, the price you see is what you pay. Literally. You see it on their website. That's what you're paying. There are no unnecessary fees, and those definitely should not prevent you from seeing the sporting event, concert, or Broadway show of your choosing. You know, you got the Chiefs hosting AFC Championship game. You have K-State heating up. You want to get into the Octagon of Doom. If you're in Kansas City, Hamilton's coming to town because you know your boy likes the musicals. You use ticket splits. You're not going to have any extra charges. And if you use our promo code right now, armchair, you're getting 5% off. So you're going to have the best price on any secondary market site. So remember, that's TixBlitz, T I X B L I T Z dot com, promo code armchair. Guaranteed seats, guaranteed emotions. We're back, and uh, first, before we get started, thoughts and prayers going out to Grant. Uh, This is the first time ever we've had back-to-back episodes without one of Bosco's boys being on there. Grant is snowed in with no power down in uh, midtown Kansas City, Uh, so hopefully, eventually, he can uh, get dug out of that uh, snowbank that the Kansas City's finest put him into, Uh, but... We do have the single hottest name, K-State Podcasting, making his third appearance on Bosco's Boys, uh, putting him at the number one spot on our guest charts. You might know him as KSU Fan. Others know him as Jimmy. I just think of him as the single smartest guy I know. Uh, Jimmy, thanks for hopping on and uh, filling in for Grant. No problem. Happy to be here. Uh, First, we're going to get started. Um, The last time all the boneheads heard this podcast I was just coming out of uh, the, that crazy high that was the biggest comeback in K-State basketball history. Uh, that was the debut of the quick-take, hot-take, K-State 71, West Virginia 69. So for the folks who haven't listened to you on the KSO show, the second best K-State sports podcast out there, uh, you were on with them earlier in the week. But I'd just like you to give our listeners what were your thoughts on that game uh, especially, you know, you start off with a crazy scoring drought, but then they just absolutely turn it on in the second half.
1: Well, first of all, the the quick take, hot take was impressive, and I thought when I listened to it, I thought this is this is all of us, all of us that still care about K State basketball. We were right there with you, with the low at halftime, with the low to start the first second half, and then the high to end the game. So I think I think you spoke. Truth for what all of us were feeling at that time, so that was number one. It was awesome. So keep doing those once in a while. If you want to keep doing those, I think they're great. Um,
0: I think that I think that will be what we're going to do for the midweek game or for the midweek podcast because awesome. we still want to we still want to do these uh, twice a week. And with how crazy everyone's schedules are for midweek and seeing that case that you know it's not always a Tuesday or Wednesday or Monday game. I think we're going to do that, and fingers crossed. Eventually, Grant might be able to join one of those. I think he's going to be working again this week, so uh, who knows? We might bring in some other guests to do those quick take hot takes. But I'm glad you and all the boneheads seem to like it.
1: Awesome, yeah, it was good.
0: Now, as far as the game
1: goes, um, you know, I think I think you said it best. Um, it, it seemed like the season might be over. Um, any hope of postseason or any hope of uh, Getting to the NCAA tournament, um, this team cl- coming close to fil- fulfilling what we thought they might be. It seemed like if you go down 0-3 with two road games coming up, you know I I, I saw 0-5 coming, maybe maybe even worse. So uh, I made a, a tweet about Bruce's last season at Illinois and how that one fell apart, and how this one looked like it was going on that trajectory. And um, fortunately, all that switched maybe about the 16, 17-minute mark, and and the guys fought, came back, um, did a lot of great things um, to to go from scoring 21 points and a half to scoring 50 points and a half, uh, an efficiency of 1.52 in the second half versus .68 in the first half, 74% field goal percentage in the second half, 33% in the first half. It's just looking at all those things, it's like this is just crazy to see that kind of comeback.
0: Well, not only was it the comeback because we did see it versus Texas Tech, but it was the fact that they were able to get over that hump and then take the lead. Uh, For that second half, what were some of the players that just really stood out to you, and what was it about what they did in the second half that allowed K-State to get that big comeback win?
1: Well, I mean, if if you look at – I I post my – offensive efficiency stats individually after every game on kso and there were just four guys that were huge um i talked about 1.05 1.1 1. 1 being pretty good we had four guys that were 1.2 or better uh barry had 1.3 scored 29 points he was used 30 percent of the time in the game which is a lot for one guy he had the six steals so barry was number one then you had of course you had mike's breakout game 18 points Hit four threes. One, he was a 1.42 offensive rating, which is incredible for a game. Uh, and he actually took he took 35% of the shots when he was on the floor. So he had a high usage rate, which a uh, high, shot, high shot rate, which was a surprise, but he was hitting shots. So I'm glad. It's good to see a guy gets hot and we find him a way to get shots. Cam ended up with 12. He had a 1.22. Six assists, no turnovers, three steals. So he was really good. And X, even though X isn't scoring, he's playing well. Um, he scored 10 points, 1.2 offense rating, five assists, one turnover, six boards. So those four were really the standouts in, in the, the making the run in that game. And then give Bruce some credit, too, for mixing things up on defense. You know, I think it's easy to say, well, any, guy, any coach will make those changes, but we know how stubborn high-level coaches are. They don't switch from man-to-man and go full-court pressure. They don't switch from man-to-man and play zone, especially when they haven't hardly done it all year. Bruce did both and both worked really really well to to really throw W uh West Virginia off and and Bruce flat out outcoached Huggs that's all you can say about it
0: yeah and I I think uh you know Bob Huggins really let his uh temper get the best of him I don't know how much of the post game you were able to listen to and this wasn't something I touched on uh during that first podcast because obviously I I hit record right as that game was ending, but he sure he's, he's been sure melting down in press conferences lately. And I know this isn't a West Virginia uh, podcast, but uh, as someone who has, you know, followed, you know, Bob Huggins, you know, everyone knew what he did uh, before he came to K-State. He was there for that glorious year. Now he's had a good run at West Virginia, but I'm starting to hear some whispers out of the moonshine Hills that, uh, the sunset might be coming on him. Uh, do you think it's a little early to be saying that, or is that just our mountain mama brethren giving the best of them and they just probably need to take a chill pill? I think it's probably a little early. Um,
1: I can see why they're going that direction, but this is kind of Huggins thing really. I mean, you look at 2012, 2013, 2014 at West Virginia, they made one tournament as a 10 seed, uh, They were 500 in the Big 12 two years and went 6-12 one year. They went 13-19 in 2013. And so, he's really got to get the right mix of kids. And I I think, especially in his this day and age, you've got to get a core group of three or four that really buy in and play the way you want them to. And if you don't have that that core group that really buys into the Huggins kind of tough love philosophy, uh, you're going to really struggle. And I think when Frank was here, he's a similar style, and he had Jake that kind of kept that group together and, and some others, Rodney and some of those guys. But with those kind of coaches, you've got to have a lead dog-type player that says, hey, we're going to do what Coach says. And if you don't have that, you have a mess on your hands. You know, you have who I thought was the best scorer in the Big 12 last year uh, left their programs at Wichita State now uh, sitting out. Um, i trying to remember his name. Oh my, Teddy Allen.
0: Oh, uh, He was yeah, yeah, He was yeah. a
1: great player, and and Huggins just ran him off. So, uh, and then you lose your two lead guards and and Miles, and I think they just don't have that core group bought in this year. And and if I'm West Virginia, you give them another year because you you hope that they've got a kind of a a group of some younger players that might still have a chance to buy in. Um, but I, I can see the I can see them saying well, Huggins is getting up there in years, and maybe he won't have that chance to turn around. He's not quite where Snyder was, And not the same dynamic as Snyder, but you start to get to that point where an older coach, if they start to lose it, you think you got to make a change. So that, that's where they're at, I think.
0: And this might be something that uh, I might have you on a little later on, maybe an off-season pod to talk about coaching in general. But if you look at the Bob Huggins coaching tree, uh, you know Frank Martin Brad Underwood, both of those guys now have been struggling this year, and it almost leads you to think maybe that brand of coach is uh, maybe not extinct, but man, do they probably need to evolve a little bit with the uh, the type of kids that are coming to play big time college basketball.
1: Yeah, I, it's it's definitely it's definitely an issue. I think it's it's realistic. I think um, it's just tough to win with that style. If if you don't have the kids bought in, and you, especially one or two kids that are are leaders on your team bought in, and and I don't think they have that this year at West Virginia. Does, obviously, they don't have it at Illinois. South Carolina's picked up some wins lately, so maybe they're starting to get there. But uh, we'll see what happens with those programs for sure.
0: Well, definitely, we'll move on from that. And uh, before we touch on the Iowa State game, which uh, you know I didn't even pull in all the great tweets we got to see from that. I do want to touch on you know the thing that almost every KSA fan was talking about <laughs> after the game, uh, you know, during this big, uh, comeback versus West Virginia, I personally got an ego stroke because the one song that I've been campaigning for them to play every time we touched by Cascada, got <laughs> some play inside Bramlage. And I thought that was going to be the big talking point. But then of course they pulled out the button, they broke the glass in case of emergency and they hit the sandstorm button. Um, I, I enjoyed seeing it as they went to timeout. It sounded like most of the folks inside the arena enjoyed it. Um, what are your thoughts just overall on A, them bringing it back, and then the whole sandstorm epidemic as a whole?
1: Well, first, someone's paying attention to, to your Twitter in this pod if they're they're playing that song. And I don't think that's an accident, first of all. And that means you're even more big time than I thought you were. So I'll, I'll give you <laughs> well, that. Well, I, I,
0: <laughs> I don't know about that. I think uh, I think I have one or two – uh, one or two friends in that area that might might be paying attention. I don't know if we'll go as far saying big time, but I appreciate it. That's that's gonna help me sleep well tonight.
1: Well, on the sandstorm thing, I mean, you're never gonna stop the chant. Um, I, I I I kind of agree with the uh, poster on KSO KC Cat 2016. He said just dub the KSU part into the song when you play it. You know, and it hopefully will help modify it enough that you can play it on most games um i get why the students do it i understand i mean we were all students once and and doing that thing is, is part of being a student i guess anymore uh but it is amazing that how much energy that song brings to the place i mean it becomes the octagon of doom again every time they play that song it's it's a real has a real effect and even when bruce gives the, the song credit and gives Gene credit for playing the song after the game. You guys pay attention to it, too. Um, so hopefully we can keep bringing it out in big-time situations and homes. And uh, like I said, I, I think you have just WSU onto it, make it happen.
0: I agree with you, and uh, hopefully they make that happen. I feel like that should be something easy to do, but I'm not a big-time sound editor by uh, every, everyone can tell when uh, I publish <laughs> some of these episodes. They're not always – the best edited thing, but uh, it is what it is. We will jump into the Iowa State game, which, of course, led to some fun Iowa State meltdowns. Even without students being in town, the only noise they made in Hilton <laughs> was when they decided they were going to boo. Uh, Barry Brown, you know, had another big game, 23 points. Cam had 12. Cardi bounced back with eight. Mac had seven. Dean Wade returned to the starting lineup. Uh, he got 22 minutes. He had nine rebounds. Led everyone with rebounds. Um, this one on a much different script than how almost every other game has gone so far this year. But we still had that patented uh, big time scoring drought. Luckily, we had a nine point lead at halftime. Just put things into perspective for us. What is your you know five thousand foot take on that game yesterday?
1: Well, I think we saw a glimpse in the first half of what the offense can be with Dean back in the lineup and uh, what he brings. It opens things up a lot more. Um, and there was more flow. There was more ball movement. And that, that kind of stagnated the second half. And I think part of that is when this team misses a few shots in a row, they seem to press. And, and when they press, they start to hold the ball, the ball sticks, especially with Barry, and then – Worst shots as that kind of transpires. Second thing, and I, and I posted something about this on KSO yesterday, just in some thread, I think part of Bruce's offensive system, and I think he really is a good offensive coach, and I think there's a reason other coaches say he's a good offensive coach, is that he's got a system that is very disciplined, that can create really good shots. And you, and, and I always point out Bruce, Bruce's system always has a high assist to field goal make ratio. 55, 58, 60% of made shots usually come on and assist. That's a product of the system. That's a product where it's designed to, to make great shots happen. But as a result, we pass up good shots. And then when Bruce says early in the year, I just want the guys to play basketball, honestly, I think he's trained them so well to play disciplined and, you know, Barry has a little freedom, Cam has a little freedom, Dean has a little freedom, but really the discipline is built into the system that when, when Bruce says just play basketball, they don't know how to do it. And so I think all those compound though, even though the system is really good, um, probably the players aren't good, quite good enough shooters or quite talented enough to make it work when things go South. And then it kind of compounds itself and we see those stretches happen. I'd, it's hard. I'm trying to figure out how to explain it, especially this year when you have everybody back and and we can't make shots. Um, but that's definitely something that's got to be addressed. I think the better Dean gets, the more he comes out of his injury, the better that'll get though.
0: Yeah. And you actually just laid it out in a way that, uh, you know, my, you know, stupid brain has never been able to, uh, put together, but something that I've noticed, and I'm glad you phrased it like that. Uh, because in this offense, you do see it almost almost every drive, if they run through the set once or twice, you will see a uh, open shot get deferred, Yes. sometimes even wide open shots. Um, what is the – is there a, any way to knock them out of this, or is it just something that we have to, as fans, come to expect and just hope that – You know, when when the lights are the brightest, the shots fall.
1: Yeah, it's part of that. I mean, I think uh, JH15 on KSU I think is one of the best basketball posters on there besides guys like Freak and Baller Status. Um, He made the point that in the second half, Iowa State played off Dean a lot more. And so that clogs up the offense. And I think that forced some of the ball sticking because for whatever reason, Dean doesn't want to shoot open threes right now. I think the first half, Iowa State kind of played them straight up, which opened things up a little more and, and led to better, better passing lanes, better ball movement. It kind of closed down the second half um, because Dean isn't taking those open shots. He will at some point as he gets more comfortable. That's cool. Um, so I think that was part of it. And, uh, and then you just, you know, I think part of it is these guys – I think they're doing it less, but I think they've been pressing all year because of the expectations put on them. And, and I don't know. That's where I go back to Bruce isn't kind of the normal alpha male dog kind of coach. And so have to generate that themselves and the, and the assistance. And I just don't think it works quite as well as you might have with, the, with a program with an alpha dog kind of coach like you see in most of the college basketball.
0: Uh, not to get too ho- uh, too far ahead of ourselves, but I I do want to touch on something because I do think the closest thing to an alpha this team has is Barry Brown, yeah. and we we definitely saw that. And I do want to touch on uh, his outstanding play down the stretch to get this win. But is that going to become an even bigger issue next year without having uh, Barry and then even sometimes Cam? as a guy to be that alpha in the locker room, in the, you know, at practice next year. And it's going to be even a rougher season than some folks might already be anticipating. Well, I, 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 I can see where people think that, but
1: I also think every team is different. I think that they're working on some guys. You got guys like Mike Cardi and Who I think will be ready to step in. Now there may be some ugliness next year. The good thing is those guys get a benefit of playing secondary roles in their first and second years. Cam, Dean, and, and Barry had to be the, the main guys as freshmen. And when you don't have, when you're, when you're developing three, four star borderline guys, that's tough to do. And I think my, my hope is that these guys are getting plenty of experience playing third or 60 the minutes in Mike. And uh, Mike's role is a little less 30 to 40% of the minutes. Shawnee Williams about the same. And then Cardi's playing 60% or more. So you have guys playing enough that when it's their turn next year, especially if X with X and max back, which I fully expect, um, I don't think it'll be as bad as people think. Um, but, but to go back to Barry I put this together last night. I just, I went back and watched the last four minutes and noticed how big a role he has. And then I went back and and just looked at the stats for just the second half. Um, Barry scored 18 of our last 21 points. I don't think most people realize that. He took, he scored 78% of the points in the second half, which partially is a problem on offense. Actually, as Barry took over five minutes, all the shots came from Barry besides Dean's layup. So you look at that and that is, Definitely a dude taking over a game, winning a game, and that's the Barry we all expected this year. So it was pretty fantastic to see, even though the offense wasn't as good as we wanted it to be. We did enough to win the game and, and most of that's because Barry Barry Brown was a stud.
0: Yeah, and I and when it comes to Barry, that that type of game and the twenty nine points he got versus West Virginia, are we seeing what the remainder of his K-State career is going to be, or is that almost putting too much hope, too much pressure on him to be able to replicate this game in, game out for the remainder of the season? I think it's a little too
1: much pressure. I don't think he'll do it every game, but I think he's getting to the point where he can do it probably more. and, And, you know, Bruce said after the West Virginia game, why did this work? Why was Barry able to get to the rim? He said, well, we made some shots, you know, if, you, if, if Mike makes a couple shots, can make a couple shots, their defenders have to take another step or two out of the lane to be in help. Uh, and, and so they're not as close, and Barry gets a lane to drive to the rim. I mean, that, it's those little things that make a difference in, in how the driving lanes work for guys like Barry. And when we can make some shots, uh, that helps open up the whole thing. If you get Dean out there again, Dean starts hitting some shots, that opens up more cam is hitting shots so you got to guard him and x hits enough i mean both those guys are mid 30 percent three-point shooters the more shooters you get on the floor the less help you can you can provide in the lane as a defense and and the more it's going to open up so we're going to see a little bit of both but he's very Barry, very uh, still going to have a bad game or two i mean he's human so we got to expect that and not freak out when it happens
0: well, I think that's a good piece for everyone not to freak out too much. Before we dive in, do you see on the outline, I did want to talk about some of the individual players over the last couple of games. Uh, this isn't on the outline, so shame on me. But I, I would like to ask, was it about K-State's defense versus Iowa State that was, you know, allowed the team to get back to that great defense that we really have, you know, become accustomed to uh, where they quite frankly didn't quite uh, have that versus West Virginia. So uh, they held, I would say, to under 60, and I think that's going to be a winning recipe almost every week for us. So what was it about the defense yesterday that got us back to that point?
1: Well, I, I just thought we were excellent on our closeouts, which which you have to do against a team that likes to shoot a lot of threes like Iowa State does. Um, Our rotations were great. Sometimes they caught us once in a while because they're a drive and kick team uh, when they're not getting open shots. Um, They've got enough inside that, you know, the the freshman kid scored a little bit that they can dump it inside or Wakington can drive it. And and so you saw that, them not collapsing the defense a ton because we stayed in front of people. But, But then when they did, we either got a good rotation or great closeouts, even from help position, to defend shots. So anytime, I mean, the value of just getting a hand in the shooter's face is, is underrated, I think for most fans. Um, And, you know, hand down, man down is a, is a real deal, especially against a team like Iowa state, when everybody can shoot it and, and getting those defensive rotations and making sure they just couldn't drive it at will really great fundamental defense by our guys. And, uh, and that's everybody on the team. So, and then you look at, you know, everybody's talked about a little bit, but X on Shayok was just fantastic. I mean, there were some switches, Barry, Cam, all those guys ended up on him, but X was the main guy. I think that's partially why he struggled to score a little bit, is his, he played with so much energy on defense, and, and you know, Shayok had his worst game of the year against us, and any time you can do that, you got to credit the guy that guards him the most, and, and that was that was uh, X.
0: Well, I think that you know personally, I think X he got his magic back. That he's gone back to wearing a headband. Yes, I don't think I don't think that it's uh, you know uh, you know I don't, I think there's something to it. You know, we've won our last two games. He's been wearing his headband the last two games. It's back, so I think we're probably gonna go undefeated the rest of the year as long as he keeps wearing that headband. Uh, but I I do want to talk about some of the guys. Uh, individual players that there has been so much conversation surrounding this year. The first one is going to be Cam Stokes. Anyone who listens to the podcast, anyone who follows me on Twitter, anyone who's on KSO knows that I've been trying to defend this guy against the haters. You know, all all off season, uh, last season, now this season, uh, he's really had a good couple games. Uh, do we believe that you know folks should finally be in a spot where we discuss Cam Stokes just as the good Big Twelve basketball player he is? Are we still going to have to deal with these you know almost game in game out battles on the internet amongst ourselves just to get to the baseline that he is a good player?
1: Well, it's it's like, I mean, I think uh, Matt Hall said it well. Cam is the Bruce Weber of the players. I mean. You have your opinion of him. You've formed your opinion of him over the last two or three seasons. And that's your opinion of him. No matter what happens, you're always going to say and have that thing in the back of your mind of why you don't think he's any good. And I think that's what's happened with Cam. I think it's going to continue maybe a little more buy-in from some people, but he's shooting the best of his career. He's over his career average for three-pointers percentage-wise. He's over his career average for twos percentage-wise. He leads the team in assists. He has a great assist rate. He has a great, very solid assist turnover ratio for a point guard, especially for a Bruce combo point guard. He's playing through pain again, and this year he's doing it effectively where last year he struggled a little bit. And so you've got those things going on. You look at even yesterday's game, he did struggle to shoot it in the second half, but if it wasn't for Cam and and Cardi, we wouldn't have been in the game at halftime. So, cam had a great first half scored all his uh, I think all 12 points in the first half that he scored for the game so you know I there's plenty of things to look at with cam to say he's a good player um, he's not all league I mean I think it's okay to say he's a good player but he's not an all big 12 player so um, hopefully you know he has good enough big 12 season that he's an auto mention type player he could get there but yeah the cam the cam stuff just gets gets old after a while
0: Is there, you're, I I consider you a K-State basketball historian. Has there ever been a guy that has received this much pushback from the fans despite being such a solid contributor? Well, I mean, the obvious one is
1: Will Spradling. I mean, he was, he was, he was probably right. He wasn't
0: flashy. (laughs) I'm guilty of that one. He didn't do anything
1: great, but he had, you know, his, his shooting was solid. His offensive efficiency was solid. His assist rate was solid. He didn't turn the ball over. He played pretty good defense. I mean, and I think part of Will's is the Frank stuff. So that's a whole other topic. But he was he was a good big twelve basketball player. Again, not an all league player, but a very good third or fourth best guy on your team, which everybody needs in this in this league.
0: All right. Well, uh, I, I, that's pro- honestly probably good that you pointed that out because that brought me off of my high horse because I definitely. <laughs> I definitely fall into that camp. So let's move on to Dean Wade, another guy that, uh, honestly, I've probably been a little too critical of uh, over his career. And uh, he he made his return earlier than expected. I I 100% believe we don't win that game without – dean wade yesterday he led everyone with nine rebounds i thought he passed the ball well you could tell how tentative he was on offense still and even on defense i didn't think he was moving very well but that showed how smart of a player he was he was still able to get to the spots and defend um so before we dive into his actual game if you were the one calling the shots would you have uh pushed him to play yesterday because it's obvious he's not 100%. 100%. And I don't know the psyche of it all, but I was a little worried when I saw him out there uh, moving around and it was obvious he wasn't hundred percent.
1: Well, if my, my thing is if he feels ready to go mentally and he can't, it would be very difficult to injure, make the injury worse. Those two co- things kind of combined for me. And I think that's, I think that's what happened. I, I, I thought he moved really well. I mean, he battled on the boards. Um, offensively, a few times he he tried, you know, he caught the ball at the elbow, um, attacked, and then did his little fadeaway move or his, his, his little turnaround move in the lane, and he was just a little bit off on those shots. You know, he, he shot five times and made the one layup late in the game. So um, I think he was ready to play. Um, I think he's a little rusty, and I think, you know, he wants to distribute and not take away. And I think that's why he passed up some of those open shots he had. Um, but I had no problem with him playing and I thought he was very effective. And I agree with you that we don't win the game without him. I mean, if you go back to the last play before Barry's game winner, it was Dean that got the rebound and it was a tough rebound. It was a contested rebound. Uh, Jacobson, I think, uh, the bit, the, the Iowa state big was right on him and Dean just took the ball away from him and got it to Barry who, who drove it for the layup. So. Dean made plenty of plays. He played solid defense. You know, he, he'd struggled at times because he got some matchups on guys that were tough to guard for him um, anyway, even if he's 100 percent healthy. But he did a good job. And uh, as he comes back and gets more healthy and gets his offense going, this team's only going to get better.
0: Uh, that, that brings me to my, you know, kind of last point on Dean Wade. How much longer can K-State, you know, survive without him? having his 100% game on offense. We're coming into two more borderline uh, ranked top 25 games. We have so many big games moving forward. Is it a situation where we can sustain, you know, more games just like that? Or are we about to hit a point where if he can't, you know, get some sort sort of, you know, increase offensive production, we're going to be in a lot of trouble.
1: Oh, if he, if he wasn't, if he wasn't playing and couldn't, Um, didn't look like he could score at all. I would be worried, but I my thing is even looking at the shots he missed yesterday, those are gonna fall. I mean, some of those were rimmed rimmed out and were very good looks for him. You know, he could easily had six or eight points, and we're all feeling just a little bit better with six and eight and nine rebounds instead of two and nine rebounds. So, I think it'll come. I mean, the biggest thing is you know you're a forty-two percent three point shooter the last two seasons. You're thirty-eight percent for your career shoot the three shoot, shoot if you're open for three i don't care if it's the second pass of the offense or the 15th as we talked about bruce's discipline shoot the ball from three dean and and i think i think he's really i think he's gonna progress really quickly just getting back into game speed action i think that's the biggest thing and and hopefully he doesn't aggravate his foot
0: I agree with you 100%. Uh, moving on quickly, uh, Cartier Jada, lots of talk about him after that West Virginia game. Not a lot of good stuff. You saw some people questioning his hustle. Some people, I personally thought he must have been hurt uh, when I did the quick take, hot take, because that wasn't the Cartier that I've come to really you know gravitate towards as a fan. Um, he sure woke up. He had, a at least in my opinion, a very good game versus Iowa State. Uh, he only shot four times, but he hit two of them. I think they were both threes, got to the free-throw line, got some rebounds, played good defense. Was this kind of his wake-up moment, or should fans you know, kind of expect a little bit more hot, a little cold with him, or is this going to be the game we look back towards that got him going, similar to Barry coming out of the Texas Tech game in his performance versus West Virginia?
1: Yeah, I, I think he'll be more consistent now. Um, he's had he- – Solid so far in Big 12 play. Um, let's see, he's scoring, you know, six six points a game. He's um, not hitting threes, but he's pretty decent on twos. He's got a 0.97 offensive rating, which is not great, but it's getting closer to where it needs to be. Um, I just think I think it's easy to look at guys and see that sometimes they have a sophomore slump. I mean, I I look at him and I, I compare him a lot to Wesley of and what do really dropped to about this offensive efficiency his sophomore year and then blew up as a junior and senior. So that's what I'm hoping for from Cardi. But he's still going to be a contributor and, and win some games down the stretch here in Big 12 play as we keep going. So I'm not worried about him. I don't know if he's going to score 12 points a game from here on out, but I think he could get to the 8 to 10 point range and 5 or 6 rebounds and play solid defense. So I think I think there was a wake-up call, but I think the wake-up call was more engagement and effort and not what he can do on the court. And just engagement of effort will bring better play on the court for him.
0: Well, perfect. Uh, we'll bring up a guy who I don't think has ever had an engagement issue, a guy who really brings it when he's on the court, Mike McGurl. I've been maybe not as critical, but I've been a vocal person when it comes to don't you know, go all in on the hype, kind of settle down. Um, he sure blew up versus West Virginia. He was one of the guys who really, you know, woke the, woke up the offense in the first half. Uh, and then the Iowa State game, picked up four fouls, only playing in. I I had it marked down as nine minutes. Um, it might have been a little different, but that's why I had him down for it's nine minutes, got four fouls. Are you discouraged that he couldn't follow up that West Virginia game, or is this just going to be one of those things where Bruce rides the hot hand and, uh, you know, we, we get what we get from the young guards.
1: Yeah. I, I think, I mean, I think it's similar to Cardi I, and I think Mike has a little bit smaller role, of course, but I think it's similar in how they're going to be used. And really, if you look at it, you, we really need one or the other playing well at the, uh, in, in the game by game situation. If we get both playing well, um, as, in, in, in the secondary role, we're going to be really, really good. Um, both of them, um, I, I looked at some numbers. Both of them are in the mid-80s offensive rating-wise. Remember earlier in the year we were talking about mid-70s and comparing them to Javon Thomas. So they're making steady steady improvement as the year goes on. We'll see where that goes. Hopefully they can both get into the 90s, mid-90s efficiency-wise by the end of the year. They're both around 42 43% from two. That's probably going to stay the same, I'm guessing. Um, but they're, they're 25 27% on threes, I think as they get more confident and they get more into the flow of the game, hopefully one or both of them can get in the lower thirties from three. So I'm not real worried about them. I, I just want to see them both progress. And like I said, I think the experience they're getting this year is, is kind of underrated to what they can bring next year when they're going to have a much bigger role on the team. So I'm, I think they're both going to be solid players. I'm encouraged with how they're both playing lightly. Um, I said, Barry's going to have a game, a bad game once in a while. These guys are going to have more bad games. But I think we're going to see more good games from them going forward, which is what we have to do to, to be that 9, 10, 11, 12, Big 12 win team, which I think I'm starting to feel more like we can be.
0: That's what I like to hear. I need to just set up a phone call with you after every game to <laughs> – make me feel even better and and i'm the optimistic one on this podcast usually so it's good to have someone else in that camp with me all right after a little bit of technical difficulties we are back uh just a reminder we are still partnered with my bookie it's not going to be around much longer again we get weekly usage uh reports coming from them you guys are the best gamblers in the armchair media network Keep it going. If you haven't joined the team yet, remember to use code BOYS25 for a 50% deposit bonus, and uh, you're going to bankrupt them. And if, you, if you're smiling to Jenny, and he'll give you all the information you need, He I don't know if you endorse gambling, but you know what? Every time I make a K-State basketball bet, I read your scouting reports on KSO before I do so. So you don't have to give away any of your patented information, but we have two big games Coming up this week, Wednesday, the 16th, we're at Oklahoma again. Uh, Rankings come out on Monday. They're going to be a borderline top 25 team. This is 6 p.m. on ESPN2. And then Saturday, I think I'm going to be in the house on Saturday, uh, the 19th. We're taking on TCU ESPN2. Again, they're going to be a borderline ranked team. This could be our third straight game versus a ranked team. What do you need to see from these uh, next two games uh, to make you confident about you know, the season moving forward. And what can we expect from both Oklahoma and TCU? Well, they're, they're two, again, solid teams.
1: I, I pointed out before that the the top, the first, not really half, maybe first third, a little more than a third of our big 12 schedule is really was really the toughest part of the schedule. We have um, most of the better teams in the league and, um, Texas is 32 in Ken Palm, Texas Tech was 8, Iowa State 17, Oklahoma's 8, TCU's 22, Texas Tech is 8. So you have all these fairly highly ranked teams that we're playing. When I look at Oklahoma, um, I would say they may be the most impressive team in our league as far as what I thought they would be. Um, They've been impressive this year, and I don't know if it's addition by subtraction with with losing uh, Trey Young last year. Biggest thing is they now have a top 10 defense. They weren't even close that last year. Um, they played a top 10 schedule as well, so they're playing good teams to develop that defense. They're still solid on offense. The funny thing is on offense is they're not really great at any of the four factors when I look at shooting, turnovers, rebounding, and getting to the free throw line. They're 125 to 200 in all four of those categories, um, but they have great field goal percentage defense. They have great rebounding and they don't send people to the free throw line at all. They don't force turnovers much, um, but they're a really good team. They're really solid. They've got some solid players back. Um, So you look at them, and and, uh, it's going to be tough. good thing is it's not not like Norman is a really hard place to play. Iowa State was a much tougher venue. Even probably Texas Tech was a tougher venue than we're going to see this Wednesday night. So that's a good thing for us. So
0: that's going to be a game in the 50s, right? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, we'll see. Uh, Oklahoma plays at a little higher pace, um, but but I think we kind of make it come into the 60s. So right now with this team, and I think we're going to continue to do that. So uh, I would I would not be surprised if it's not a game in the 60s.
0: Well, perfect. And then uh, TCU, they're coming in, and you know, ever since Jamie Dixon, you know, saddled back up at his alma mater, they've. They, they stopped being a doormat, and I'll be honest with you, I miss having the automatic win twice a year versus them.
1: Yeah, same thing. Um, TCU's a little more down, balanced. Their schedule's not as good as Oklahoma's, probably more similar to ours, non-conference-wise, maybe even a little weaker. Um, but they still have a top 30 offense and defense. Um, like most TCU teams, are really good at shooting on twos and threes, and they're great at defending them. Uh, they take care of the ball. They force turnovers. They're a solid rebounding team. Um, The biggest thing to watch with TCU is Jalen Fisher's knee is acting up again. Yes, he didn't play um, yesterday, and and we'll see what he does this week. But that really hurts him. He's a really good player. Um, They still played well without him, but uh, they'd definitely be a tough matchup. And, you know, our games with them last year were all tough ones. So um, my hope is we can get at least one of these and and come out of this week one-on-one.
0: Well, that kind of brings me to the next uh, segment. I don't want to toot my own horn too much because, uh, you know, I, I did predict 2-0 last week, and I said Barry was going to average 24 points Ooh, a game. So I, was, I was almost I was almost perfect. Uh, and I, I do want to give a shout-out to everyone who's new to following me on social media and stuff. I, I got quite a few uh, folks who are <laughs> a little new to the Scott Wildcat reverse jinx. Um it was, uh, it, it, it never, it never uh, stops entertaining me. Uh, you know, I, I, this is what I do. It's my coping mechanism that seems to work out. And some folks were even going as far back to me pointing out when I saw Dean Wade get hurt. Uh, you know, that very first game, I made a tweet saying, did we just see the last of (laughs) Dean Wade? So folks really were pounding me hard yesterday on social media, but I need to bring back up. I did predict the two wins and two massive games from Barry. So um, I'll put you on the spot. You have the right to change this on any other median, whether you're on KSO shows, GoEma, Twitter, anything you put out there. I won't hold you to it, but as we're sitting here on Sunday the 13th at 12.05 p.m., what are your two predictions for the game, two games?
1: I, I would my, – my initial feel is, is a close game at OU um, that might end up in a loss and a solid home win versus TCU because I think Dean's a little more healthy by, the, by that point. That would be my initial impression going in. Um, if we do manage to win both, then, you know, we're talking about winning four in a row and all of a sudden, we're 4-2 in the league. And, I, and then I'm starting to think, well, maybe we can be that league contender again. So hopefully something good happens. We can win both. Um, but I would not be disappointed a little bit. But I, it wouldn't be tragic to be 1-1 one one this week.
0: Well, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to say 2-0. Oh. Nice. I'm going to say Barry keeps it going. And then here's my very, very, very specific prediction in that game versus TCU Dean Wade is going to have 16 points, 10 rebounds, and four assists, and it's go, everyone's going to be thinking, "All right, we're back." Uh, so th- that's uh, the game prediction. I want to touch on something uh, that I've had on my radar uh, just because I like some obscure stats like this. But K State tweeted it out and went around social media quite a bit yesterday uh, with last night's or what well, yesterday morning, morning, believe it or not, uh, <laughs> their game verse. Iowa State. Bruce Weber now has 23 top 25 wins that put him in the number one spot uh, in all-time K-State ranked wins. And as a disclaimer, you know, early on there were not there wasn't a top 25 ranking, et cetera, et cetera. I acknowledge that, but he is still just 13 wins behind Jack Gardner in all-time wins, so he's currently in fourth. I think it's safe to say he'll eventually get to third on that list, and. K-State has had a lot of great coaches come through Manhattan. A lot of them didn't have super long tenures, but Bruce's performance coupled with his longevity is going to end up putting him pretty high on a lot of these lists. Are we ever going to get to a point as K-State fans where we can celebrate the Bruce Weber tenure for what it is? Or is this going to be something that, you know, even, you know, 20, 25 years from now is still going to be a pain point amongst all K-State fans?
1: Um I really believe that there's – I don't think it's a big segment of our fans, but there is a segment that will never, ever accept Bruce, barring a Final Four or a national championship or another league title. Um, You just see it on – I think KSO has a, a bigger percentage of fans that are this way than most places, but you see this segment of fans that never post about basketball until something bad happens. And then they come in and they say, I told you so. And then they say, is Bruce ever going to be consistent? And he takes two steps back for every one step forward. And, and like most of those things aren't true. Um, We, we're not, we're not winning the league. Sure. And Bruce had one really bad season, kind of two bad seasons that kind of, you know, they like to bring up 50% in the league. Well, Bryce Drew is under 50% in the league, even if you take out his early couple seasons when he had no players. um, Huggins is about 50% in the league. Lon Kruger is 50% in the league. So there's a lot of good coaches that are 50% in this league. You know, we got spoiled because Frank won 60% in the league. You know, Frank never had a bad year. And so the comparison is always going to be Bruce to Frank. Frank won a little more on the road. That's always going to be the comparison, but... You know, Bruce is is doing a solid job. Um, he finishes this year out well. Um, you can't be disappointed with where we're at as a team.
0: I agree with you, and, you know, I think it'll be crazy because when it's all said and done, I don't, I, you know, he's not young enough to, I think, really make a run at number one or number two on the all-time wins list, but he's without a doubt going to get to number three. He might end up being... Uh, somewhere near the top when it comes to conference wins based on the larger conference schedule. So, yeah. you know, when, when you know, our, you have, when we have grandchildren and they're looking at, you know, all-time wins by K-State coaches, Bruce Weber's going to be in almost every single segment still. And, and th- this is coming from someone who up until last year was full-on burn it down. And for better or worse, if this season turns, I you know, I'm going to be frustrated again. Yeah. It's still just surprising to me that a guy who's going to end up having all these superlatives amongst a very storied, uh, you know, program is never going to be seen as, uh, you know, probably get the props he deserves. And it's kind of sad, in my opinion, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, it is. And, you know,
1: he just doesn't have the dynamic personality that other coaches have. And I think that, you know, that doesn't help him either.
0: Well, it is what it is. Uh, Here's to hoping that he, uh, who knows, let's just say he wins out and wins the national title and we can put all this to bed. Let's do it. Uh, But speaking of uh, Bruce and, you know, last week... Uh, we threw around this idea of panic meters, and we had a lot of participation <laughs> on Twitter. And I, and shout out to Conrad, who actually had me correct this. So I was calling it the panic button last week, but that's kind of a yes or no thing, not a meter. So uh, I'm replacing it from the button to a meter. Grant was at a seven last week. I was at a four. Uh, a lot of folks on Twitter were all over the place. Where were you before these two games? this past week and where are you now? Because, you know, I was a, at a four going into them. I was pretty chill. I'm at a, like a two now. So. Yeah, I would, I would say
1: going in, I'd be similar to you, probably four or five. Um, at about seven o'clock on Wednesday, I was probably at a eight or nine. <laughs> and then weren't we all, and then, you know, afterwards that calmed down and I I'm with you, I'm, I'd be a one or two right now. I, you know, I feel really, you know, it's, it's not as good as we wanted to be. We probably have one or two more losses than we had hoped for at this point in the season. Um, but you know, to me, the winning at Iowa State kind of erases the Texas loss for for now. So that's you know, if you if you lose at home, you got to go win at least one on the road, maybe two. So we'll, maybe we can make up for it even more this week. We'll see. But my panic meter is way down there right now.
0: Perfect and uh before we uh sign off just quick uh football talk. The coaches are all out on the trail there's rumors of uh a, a, a famed Tuyasa Sopo, a uh, great name in you know all the football circles is going to be the tenth assistant, not officially named, but they're all over the place recruiting. You've been, you know, a K-State fan as long as anyone I know. Uh we've never seen this as K-State fans outside of the brief period with Ron Prince. They're hitting the trail hard in Kansas, Oklahoma, all over the place. How excited are you to see this new uptick in uh, football recruiting? And I guess this is the first time we've had you on since the football hire. Um, What are your thoughts on the Chris Kleiman era, you know, a month in?
1: Well, I don't, I don't think he could have started it any better um that, that i mean part of it is just the exposure to the program which we haven't seen um since since those few years with prince and and even those years we didn't have social media and things like like we do now so um we didn't probably notice it as much um but having that exposure getting to see some some of the insides of the program but th- but then you look at it and you just seeing that exposure you're you're starting to see the efforts on the recruiting trail which you know is kind of you know something we give kudos for to Bruce because he works hard. He's always flying around. He's out there trying to find guys. And and right now we're seeing the same thing with Kleiman and his staff. And that energy um, only helps promote the program. Now you know we have to see wins and losses over the next two or three seasons to to back that up. But the initial phase of this hire, the assistants he's hired, uh, I would give everything. You know, at at the lowest of B plus, probably A minus range for what I would grade it to this point in his short career here.
0: Well, I agree with you. I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do before uh, late signing period, and I'm really hoping to see him capitalize on all that in-state talent for the 2020 class. Um, Before I give any closing statements, I do want to say we're not a Kansas City sports podcast, but I know a ton of our listeners are big Chiefs fans. You know, big win versus the Colts. Uh, they're going to host the AFC Championship game. I'm going to be there with my dad uh, next Sunday. I'm looking forward to it. I'm sorry about your Cowboys, though. That's
1: fine. The cow. I mean, the Cowboys are what they are, and I am not at all shocked that they lost the game. Um, I-, I definitely thought the Chiefs had a much better chance, and they played um, good football. I'm really impressed with the way they played defense, considering how they played during the season. So. You know, if they can carry that over, uh, they're going to be in the Super Bowl.
0: Yeah, and that, and that's just crazy to think about. Um, Jimmy, thanks for uh, hopping on in Grant's absence. Uh, do you want to plug anything? Do, wh- where can all the boneheads find you if they aren't already following you? Yeah. Well, on
1: Twitter, of course, KSU underscore fan. Um, KSO is where I post a lot of my stats and stuff about games. Uh, I just posted the Big 12 advanced stats for the first four or three games for some teams yesterday so go find that if you're interested in how the big 12 is stacking up right now our numbers don't look real good but i think that'll even out And wins and losses are what matters we got two and two there so that's where most of my stuff's at that's where i post and uh looking forward to hopefully a good week of basketball again
0: yep i agree with you thanks again for coming on and uh you know, tell those uh, guys over at KSO to stop stealing you so much. We had a claim on you first. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, thanks again for coming on to All Boneheads. We love you. Thanks for all your support. I do want to throw something out there. Uh, boneheads are everywhere, so shout out to a couple uh, interesting folks on a different website for calling us out by the wrong name, talking a lot of crap. <laughs> I get every, I get everything sent to me. So, And I know you guys listen. Uh, So what I'm going to say, and I'm not going to say any names, but to those select few, uh, you don't want to start with us because I promise we're not professionals. We will get super, super petty. So I I gave you a warning back in October. This is the last time. If you guys continue to do this, uh, Grant and I will have to destroy you. So thanks again to all the Boneheads for looking out for us. We love you guys. Grant would say, meet me at the Cat Head. The KSO guys would say, tell your friends. John Kurtz would say something that's way too cool. Uh, So, shout out to everyone. Jimmy, thanks again, and we'll see you later. Sports Social Podcast Network.